Welcome back to Fight in the Shade, USA podcast brought to you by Heroes Media Group. And I'm very sorry, podcasters or listeners of the podcast, podcastees, I don't know, podcastees is probably what you are, but I'm flying solo today. It's just me, no Lady Jennifer, and uh, I am actually video recording this as a beta test, so... I'm very, very sorry for those of you who have to look at the beast without the corresponding beauty. This is part of our Why We Love America series, and uh, this is going to be part three. And what I want to do is something called the Flame of Liberty. And for those of you who cannot see, I am holding up uh, a U.S. Constitution and other writings uh, book, Canterbury Classics. You can actually buy this at Costco. And what it has is it has, of course, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution. And then it has other speeches throughout our history that go into what is the ethos of America? What are we founded upon? What is this idea? Why is America exceptional? Why was she founded in a providential manner? And uh, that's something, again, if I had a dollar for every time I said we're going to do a podcast on this, I would be a wealthy man and I wouldn't need to be doing podcasts. But we will do uh, future podcasts that unpack in full. We're probably going to have to do a series on why America is exceptional and why we believe she was founded providentially, uh, which means we, we believe God had a hand in her founding. And that is what makes her so unique. And those those two are uh, two separate things. They often get conflated with one another. But I believe the fact that she's exceptional and uh, that she was founded providentially are two distinct things that are provable. They do tie in together, but they are separate and distinct. Um, correlation, not causation. Or maybe the other way. I shouldn't be throwing out things like that when I don't fully know what they mean. Just kidding. That's for another future podcast, correlation or causation. All right, so... What I'm going to do today is I am going to go through maybe six or seven, six or seven different uh, speeches and writings. Uh, we're going to go from 1775 uh, all the way up to the 1960s. And you may say, why wouldn't we go farther than that? Well, I'm going to end with Ronald Reagan. That's why I'm going to end with uh, one of Ronald Reagan's earliest uh, speeches that kind of put him on the national map uh, because he's the great communicator, and I would like to end with him. So what you're going to see uh, in all of these speeches is what I call the flame of liberty. So it's a, it's a never-ending line uh, of thought patterns that revolve around God and liberty. And you'll see that. Um, it also revolves around personal responsibility, uh, that we have responsibilities as citizens, citizens to guard this flame of liberty. Because if we don't, then it will be snuffed out. It doesn't automatically stay lit forever. Um, Ronald Reagan said freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. And he's right about that. And the Jewish people live the same way uh, because they're surrounded by enemies on all sides. And so they, they live in such a manner that they know that their liberty is always at stake generation by generation. And I think we've lost that in America. Um, I think we probably need uh, another Great Awakening. And, and what I mean by that is uh, there was a first and second Great Awakening in our history where... Um, 
God basically moved in the hearts of the people and he inflamed the hearts of his people to love liberty uh, and drew them closer to himself. And I think we're, we're in dire need of that today uh, in 2022 as we see neo-Marxism making a revival. And uh, some people are saying that they love socialism, they don't like liberty, they don't like capitalism, they don't like freedom. Uh, they want to give their liberties away uh, in order to get more what they think is security, which is not really security. It's it's um, it's a form of bondage. But again, that is for another podcast. So let me start off here, and I just want you to listen to these words. Now, the first the first speech that I'm going to read, uh, the phraseology is from the 18th century. Uh, so a little bit of it, it'll be difficult for you to hang with it. Uh, but it's from the famous Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death speech delivered by none other than uh, Founding Father Patrick Henry at St. John's Church in Richmond, Virginia. I'm not going to read all of these because it'll take too long, but I'm going to read snippets of them. Patrick Henry says, If we wish to be free, if we mean to preserve inviolate those inestimable privileges for which we have been so long contending, if we mean not basely to abandon the noble struggle in which we have been so long engaged and which we have pledged ourselves never to abandon until the glorious object of our contest shall be obtained, we must fight. I repeat it, sir. We must fight. An appeal to arms and to the God of hosts is all that is left to us. They tell us, sir, that we are weak, unable to cope with so formidable an adversary. But when shall we be stronger? Shall we gather strength by irresolution and inaction? Sir, we are not weak if we make a proper use of those means which the God of nature hath placed in our power. Besides, sir, we shall not fight our battles alone. There is a just God who presides over the destinies of nations and who will raise up friends to fight our battles for us. The war is inevitable and let it come. I repeat it, sir, let it come. It is in vain, sir, to extenuate the matter. And this is his closing paragraph. Gentlemen may cry, peace, peace, but there is no peace. The war is actually begun. The next gale that sweeps from the north will bring to our ears the clash of resounding arms. Our brethren are already in the field. Why, shall, why stand we here idle? What is it that gentlemen wish? What would they have? If life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God. I know not what others, what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. Now, it's interesting to me that he's, he, he basically calls it a holy cause of liberty and, and he says, there is a just God who presides over the destinies of nations. Uh, th this was in the social consciousness of our founding fathers uh, that the God of providence stood on their side. Now, I want to be clear, uh, talking to you in 2022, in the 21st century here, uh, this obviously was language that actually led uh, to bloodshed. And I'm not calling for that at all. I I'm just saying to you, uh, that what, what they used then to spark 
an American Revolutionary War with arms uh, because they had exhausted all other means, we can still be inspired to fight with peaceful means uh, in the 20, 21st century. Okay, so now what I want to do is uh, I want to move on to the Declaration of Independence. And I want to point out here that there are four direct references to God in the Declaration of Independence. So it opens up, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitled them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. And here's the famous language. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So right there in the first two paragraphs, you have uh, the founders referencing the laws of nature and nature's God, and then endowed by their creator. So that those are the first two references to God. And then if you go toward the end, it says, and then they go through all of the offenses that they have uh, against England, which are quite a few. And then they, they get to the very end here before the uh, signature, signatures, and this is actually the last full paragraph. I won't read the entire thing. But they say, we, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America in general Congress assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions. And supreme judge is capitalized. That's the third reference. And then, of course, the final sentence that everyone knows or should know. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor, and divine providence is capitalized. All right, so then let's go to the preamble to the Constitution. All right, because you have to take these, you have to take like the Federalist Papers, the speeches, the Declaration of Independence, you have to take them as basically preambles uh, to the preamble of the Constitution. The Constitution of the United States of America was ratified in 1787, and um, you know, people will say, oh, well, God's not mentioned in the Constitution. Well, maybe the word God isn't mentioned in the Constitution, but uh, these biblical principles that, again, were in the social consciousness of the founders, uh, these ideas were mentioned in the Constitution. They go hand in hand with one another. So the preamble says, we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America. All right, so they're trying to form a more perfect union. In the Federalist Papers, they talk about factions, and in, I think it's in Federalist 51, they say men are not angels. And so that's why they set up a tripartite government with three branches in order to check man's power, because Power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. They knew this. Uh, and so they say, we are going to form a more perfect union with this constitution. We're going to establish justice. Justice is a biblical principle. We want to ensure domestic tranquility. First Timothy 2, 1 through 4 talks about praying for your leaders so that you can enjoy quiet lives. And then, of course, promoting the common defense 
and the promoting the general welfare. Uh, that's just the good of people, a right and inherent to self-defense. That's all biblical truth. And then secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. And this is so that um, our children and our children's children can, can live in freedom. All of these were grounded in biblical truth. It's kind of like the book of Esther, how the book of Esther, the word God is not used, but God is all throughout the book of Esther. Okay, let's go now um, to Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address in 1863. Now, this is where more than 51,000 Union Confederate soldiers were killed, wounded, or missing after the Battle of Gettysburg, which took place July 1 through 3 in 1863. And then in memory of that loss, President Lincoln uh, delivered the Gettysburg Address four months later when he visited the battlefield. And if you uh, listen or read uh, American historians and scholars, they will say that uh, the American Testament, so in the Bible you have like the New and the Old Testament, um, which of course completes the Protestant Bible, uh, and they will say that for America, the American Testaments were the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and then Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. Because in Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, uh, he was the president who held our union together and in the Gettysburg Address, uh, he identifies the ethos uh, that held our country together. All right, so I'm just going to begin it and then skip over some of it and then end it. So he says, four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth upon this continent, continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. So you hear in there echoes of the Declaration of Independence. He says, now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. And I'm gonna go to the last paragraph. It is for us the living, rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us here, it is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us that from these honored dead, we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion. That we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom and that government of the people by the people for the people shall not perish from the earth. And so that's what I'm referring to when, when President Lincoln says that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom. I believe he was calling for a great awakening there. All right, then we're going to go to Teddy Roosevelt's inaugural address, March 4th, 1905. And he says, he opens up with, my fellow citizens, no people on earth have more cause to be thankful than ours. And this is said reverently in no spirit of boastfulness in our own strength, but with gratitude to the giver of good, that's capitalized, who has blessed us with the conditions which have enabled us to achieve so large a measure of well-being and of happiness. So in America, our, pre our first president um, at the dawn of uh, the 20th century is saying uh, it's not in our own strength that America has enjoyed all these blessings, but we should have gratitude to the giver of good, and that, that is capitalized again, who has blessed us with the conditions 
to to live in these blessings of liberty. Okay, I'm gonna go to the end here. This is this is one of my favorite endings of any uh, inaugural address. He says, "We know that self-government is difficult. We know that no people needs such high traits of character as that people which seeks to govern its affairs aright." through the freely expressed will of the free men who compose it. We're living that today, aren't we? It's difficult. It's difficult to get along. It's difficult to get anything done. It's difficult even uh, not to hate the other person on the other side of the aisle. So he acknowledges these difficulties, but he says, but we have faith that we shall not prove false to the memories of the men of the mighty past. They did their work. They left us the splendid heritage we now enjoy we in our turn have an assured confidence that we shall be able to leave this heritage unwasted and enlarged to our children and our children's children. To do so, we must show, not merely in great crises, but in the everyday affairs of life, the qualities of practical intelligence, of courage, of hardihood, and endurance, and above all, the power of devotion to a lofty ideal which made great the men who founded this republic in the days of Washington, which made great the men who preserved this republic in the days of Abraham Lincoln. I just, I really love that so much. And that's how, that's how he ends it. He doesn't say, you know, thanks for coming or have a great day. He just says, which made great the men who founded this republic in the days of Washington, which made great the men who preserved this republic in the days of of Abraham Lincoln. See, he reaches back. He reaches back to that flame of liberty and he calls forth the citizenry to greatness in the everyday affairs of life. He calls forth the qualities of practical intelligence, of courage, of hardihood and endurance, and above all the power of devotion to a lofty ideal. See, there there is this flame of liberty that goes throughout our leaders and our country and that we must, we must in 2022, live this out or we will lose it all. All right. So now I'm going to, uh, Ronald Reagan's a time for choosing speech. And I believe this is when he first came onto the national stage in 1964. So this was roughly 15 years, uh, before he became president. Uh, and, uh, at that time he was known as an actor and a motivational speaker. And he gave an impassioned speech on behalf of Republican candidate, Barry Goldwater, in which he laid out uh, his belief in limited government. And uh, I want to I, I just focus on one paragraph of this. It, it's really good. It, th this is a very long speech, but th this one paragraph really got me. Uh, Reagan says, You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. And this... This is the meaning in the phrase of Barry, Gold's, Barry Goldwater's peace through strength. Winston Churchill said, The destiny of man is not measured by material computations. When great forces are on the move in the world, we learn we're spirits, not animals. And he said, There's something going on in time and space, and beyond time and space, which, whether we like it or not, spells duty. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. And so, you know, that, that was roughly, what, 60 years ago now. Uh, so I, I could have stopped with something more current. But I just love how one Reagan quoted Winston Churchill 
uh, and he said, he basically said, hey, there, there is something in the spiritual realms going on. There's something going on in time and space, and it spells duty. And I, I believe that this brings together uh, everything that the founders said that was necessary in order to, to make the flame of liberty keep burning brightly. One, we have to take personal responsibility uh, for our citizenship, for our country, for our freedoms. Two, uh, we have to have the proper ideas that all men are created equal under God. And three, that we have to seek God's help. This is our duty. We have a rendezvous with destiny. It's no different for us today in 2022 than it was in 1775 when our founding fathers and mothers took the greatest risk and they uh, basically did give up their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honors in order to form a more perfect union. They called it Novus Ordo Seclorum, the new order for the ages. And we reap the blessings of liberty that our forefathers sowed for us. So I believe that we do owe a duty uh, of freedom through good citizenship and taking action uh, to make sure that we keep the flame of liberty burning brightly, not only for ourselves, but for our children and our children's children. So hopefully I've, I've convinced you to uh, get more involved, to love America, and uh, we'll be talking more about this in the future episodes. So thanks so much for tuning in. Fight the shame.